Hi guys, it's Jess. Welcome back to the Not Carrie Bradshaw podcast where I discuss all things style, wellness, pop culture, and whatever else I feel like talking about that week. I just want to take a second to number one say that I hope that you are somehow doing well in spite of everything that is happening. I can't say enough that I continue to somehow be surprised, bewildered, anxious about what fresh hell 2020 is going to bring us every day, but we are here. We are somehow thriving. And that for me, in the grand scheme of things, it it has to be enough. Um, So I hope that you guys are finding ways to be well. And I just want to say, number two, thank you so much for rocking with me, for listening to me. This podcast serves as a creative outlet for me at times when I can't write or when I don't feel like recording video uh, or delving into the several other things that I do creatively. So I just want to say thank you for being a part of my creative process and for giving me something to do right now. I really, really appreciate it. It means so much to me that people actually care what I have to say about things. Um, Shouts out to all the girls who were told that they talk too much in class. All of my report cards. Jessica's very bright, but she's a distraction to other students. Well, guess what, girl? I still am. Uh, So shouts out to y'all. I am so freaking excited about this episode. You guys know that I typically kick everything off with a fashion tip, and this week's fashion tip is to listen to this interview that I had the pleasure of doing with Fresh of Rich Fresh clothing label line collection. Fresh is such a dope designer and such a dope person. I had the pleasure of interviewing him first back at the top of New York Fashion Week for a piece that I wrote for Fashionista and I don't know if it's because he's from the south and working in fashion and black but I just felt like an instant camaraderie with him like I want him to be like my homie I want to go to brunch with him like he's just such a a cool guy so I reached out and asked if he would be willing to be on my podcast because I wanted to learn more about his story about his creative process and I really want for us as a community to learn what it means for independent black designers to be that um, in this industry, in this climate, it takes a lot. And he has a really dope story of like going from homelessness to having a multi-million dollar business. I just think that he's amazing. I think that his clothes are, it's honestly, it's stuff that I would want to live in. I can't wait until the Lord blesses me with a coin to be able to afford a custom rich, fresh suit. (laughs) So I hope you guys enjoy this interview. Make sure that you share and review and rate and comment and all of the things this episode, this podcast, you know, support your girl. Love y'all. So enjoy, or at least I hope you guys enjoy just learning about someone else's story besides mine. <laughs> so I'll talk to you guys soon. So I loved our conversation um, that we had when I first interviewed you for Fashionista. I was just like, this is such a dope person. Maybe it's because you're from the South, but I just felt like, 
this could be my homeboy. <laughs> so I just wanted to introduce um, my podcast audience to you because I'm constantly talking to them about Black fashion, about why it matters, and why Black fashion designers should be able to just be designers. It shouldn't right. have to be qualified and all that stuff. And I was like, this is the perfect person to like have this conversation with. So we're just going to jump right in. I want to give you the opportunity to tell my audience who you are, what you do, and why. Okay. Uh, my name is Fresh. I'm the CEO of Rich Fresh. I'm also the CEO of Henry Mask. Um, I'm based in LA. I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, and I do what I do because I don't know nothing else to do. That's all I got. <laughs> Listen, that's, I think that's actually a better response than most people because <laughs> I don't know if you watch Lovecraft Country, but um, this past episode, they were talking about how if you could choose, you know, if you could name yourself, who would you name? Like, who would you name yourself to be? What would you declare yourself to be? And I don't think most people know the answer to that. So if you do what you do just because it's like, well, what else? <laughs> that's me. I think that just shows that you know what you want out of life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like that, um, that much is true. <laughs> so I also, I just saw on your Instagram page, you had a picture with your mom. Um, and it looks like she's been like a champion of your designing since day one. So how or when did you get to a place where you said, you know what, I want to be a fashion designer. And then how did we get here? So I know I wanted to be a fashion designer when I graduated from high school. So I was 18. And I told my parents, like, I had a bunch of scholarship offers to go to all these big schools to just do normal, you know, smart stuff. And I told them I didn't want to do that. Like, I really fell in love with fashion in high school and was like, I really want to figure out how to do this. And, you know, they didn't understand at first because, like, I'm the oldest and, you know, you get, you, you're, you're the oldest black son and you got scholarship offers and you're not taking them. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But, um, you know, I mean, they just saw me being diligent and, like, applying myself. And that photo, I was 19. My mom came to my apartment. Me and my ex-wife, she came to the apartment, you know, and, um, She's like, asking me like, you know, what are you gonna do? Cause you know, parents always worry about it. She's like, Patrick, what are you gonna do? Um, Cause I, I've been working for my dad. Cause you know, my parents, my parents had a Subway franchise. So I was working there for a while. And then I kind of didn't want to do that anymore. So she was like, what are you gonna do? And I was like, mom, I really want just, I want to be a fashion designer. And she was like, you know, I think she could just tell that I was serious. And so, um, for my birthday, it was a few months later, she bought me uh, my first overlock machine. Okay. I've been talking about it. You know, like I already had machines, but I didn't have an overlock. So she bought me one and, um, you know, she just, she know I was serious about this. I've been serious all the time. And she's always giving me good words, good um, motivation, support. You know, shit, I was broke for most of my career. Like I, shit, I got rich a couple of years ago. But, but prior to that, I was the exact opposite. So like there was really no in between. I never was at a point where I was making pretty good money. I was either I wasn't making shit or I was making millions. So when I wasn't making shit, I hit my mom was like, Mom, I need to borrow fifty dollars or seventy-five dollars or whatever. And she always took care of me, you know, I get it back to her, but she just always knew that like one day it'll pay off. So here, whatever you need, I got you. Um, and uh and now, you know, shit, I retired her uh two years ago. Um, so she don't, she don't have to worry about working no more. She ain't got no bills. She live with us out in Calabasas, you know, 
um, life is good and, you know, and I'm doing my thing. That's a huge jump to go from Memphis to Calabas. Like, what made you say, like, I need to be out west? So I lived in New York, actually, in uh, 2007. So from 07 to 08, I was in New York, beginning of 08. But the market crashed in 07. Oh, I remember. (laughs) I did, too. I lost two jobs within a week of each other. Um, So I went from, like, having two okay jobs to having nothing. And so I moved back to Memphis. Um, and, you know, I was spending more time with my daughter and then my brother moved down and was staying with us. And, um, you know, I was just uh, working and working and working. We were so fucking broke, working all the time. And I had, uh, I was raising my, my daughter by myself at the time and I didn't want her to go to school in Memphis. I just didn't like Memphis City school system. And um, so right when she was four, I was like, mm, just almost that time we got a mob. And we coast because we had never been there. The weather seems to be good. And apparently it's a lot of successful people out there. So it's not impossible to become successful. So we got in the car and we just drove across the country to the big unknown. And um, it was incredibly unknown. You know, we landed in San Diego first. We did San Diego for three years. But, you know, I was broke there too. And I, uh, I eventually just moved up to LA because things fell apart in San Diego. And I was like, let me just go up to LA and just give, give this a try. And um, it took a lot of struggle, a lot of sacrifice, but you know, I, I'm a firm believer, anything that you do long enough, well enough, you'll be. I think it's, first of all, you got married hella young, right? I was 20. <laughs> That's yeah, so young. <laughs> like, of course, like, oh, so Southern <laughs> Oh, right. Uh, you can imagine, like, I'm from Atlanta, I'm 33, and people keep looking at me like, when you, when babies at, babies you know, and I'm like, mind your uterus, girl. Um, <clears throat> so I, look, I don't ask you nothing about show parts, you ask me nothing about mine. Um, so it's really, I'm always so fascinated to um, learn about people who are, like, from where I'm from and to see them, you know, in similar spaces to where I am. Like, we're taught so many things, being Black people, being from the South. Um, yeah. And I think because of that, we unintentionally put these, you know, limitations on ourselves, not even realizing that that's what we're doing, you know, that you are capable and qualified to, to do and to be more. So... One of the things that I loved about our interview when I spoke with you for Fashionista was you talked about your price point. And I thought that your confidence in yourself as a creative is something that I wish more of us had. Um, As a writer, it's hard for me to even charge what I want to charge for certain pieces because I'm like they're not gonna give me that so talk to my audience a little bit about like what it means to be a black luxury designer like you make dope ass suits dope ass track suits dope ass robes like whatever you decide that you want to you know to make and I think what you said about I just believe that what I create is worth it like how did you get to that place or that level of confidence in your craft to where you say I'm if I'm going to charge three thousand dollars for this I'm gonna do it um time you know time and experience I mean experience will give you confidence in something that you knew at uh over time first started selling suits um yeah when I when I first started selling suits you know my suits cost um $650. 
they sell suits for six hundred fifty dollars, and eight fifty was the expensive one. Um, and this is in two thousand fourteen. So two thousand fourteen, I'm selling suits for like nothing. Um, and I'm making my stuff in China, so like price should be based on validation. Like what validates this price point? You can't just charge it because you want to charge it. Why are you charging it? If you're making your shit in China, you don't really have any control over it. Um, probably shouldn't be charging like a ultra luxe price point for a base level product. So I knew that I, um, honestly, I didn't know that I even wanted to exist in the ultra luxe space. I was like, you know, I thought that's what I was supposed to be doing. Selling tools for like a thousand or whatever. I even did an event. I had fucking the like rap posters, like rappers the city. I had done that to promote this event called the Playboy Maker, where I was gonna have people pull up, get custom suits, and I was doing suits for a thousand dollars a suit. Playboy shit. I sold one suit. I spent I was putting that event together. I sold one suit. After that I realized people don't give a shit about affordable. You don't care about something that's affordable. Affordable falls into the convenience space. I'll get it if it's convenient because it's affordable. When it's something that's expensive, you'll go out of your way to get it because you desire it. Mm. And I just realized that, like, fire. Um, and then chance encounters. I had a chance encounter. I, I, I ran into Tom Ford, like, in the flesh in uh, 2016. Yeah, I was broke. I didn't know what I was doing. But I went into a fabric right there. So I just walked up on, I had a hoodie on, sweats. I just walked right up on them and just engaged them in convo. And like a real comfortable con, my arm around them and shit. Like we just chopping it up. I ain't never seen this dude before. And um, I mean, we probably talked for like maybe 10 minutes, but 10 minutes talking to Tom Ford one-on-one is like, it's pretty extreme. And <laughs> I- This is that thing where people are like, would you take a million dollars and would you have lunch with Jay-Z? And it's like, do you even know what you would ask Jay-Z if you had lunch with him? But you actually knew what you wanted to ask Tom Ford. So I love that. I actually didn't. Um, but I knew what I- just put a post up on this shit about Tom Ford. I made a pair of pants and I put them up on the gram and I said, people say Tom Ford make the best pants. And I was like, bitch. And I put the same post up on <laughs> Facebook. I'm looking at the post. Like I'm looking at people like really responding because it was my first time getting that big of a response on something on Instagram, it was 2016. So I'm like, damn, these people really like these pants. I didn't even think the pants was all that. And then I walk in and he's standing there and I'm like, no fucking way. So I show him the post. And he's like, oh my God, these pants are sexy. Like your details are amazing. These side taps. Wow, beautiful details. And bro just looked at me like I was an alien. Like, who the fuck are you? And just that moment gave me a different level of confidence. I was like, Tom Ford just told me my shit is super dope. Didn't want to get my phone back. That means your shit's dope. So after that, I went to Tom Ford. I went uh, to the Tom Ford Boutique on Rodeo and spent like two hours in there just looking at every single piece, looking at all the price points, looking at what qualifies it at this price point. Let me look at the interior. Let me look at the waistband. Let me look at all the little details and see why this man can $100 for a suit. Because um, I was charging maybe 1100 at the time that I met Tom Ford. So I was like, how's he charging 36 and I'm charging 11 and after that, I realized that I have to create an aesthetic that is like true to myself, that people can look at and say, oh, that's 
his aesthetic. That's what Tom Ford did. He created an aesthetic. So you know it when, when you see it. And people want people to know that they're wearing Tom Ford. If you're wearing Tom Ford, you don't want to keep it a secret. And I was like, well, damn, that's what you need to do. Create that's dope enough so people recognize it as yours and have a price point that's high enough that people want people to see how much money I spent on this shit. Yeah, because that's okay. it. <laughs> that's what it is. Exactly, that's us. We love doing that. All across the front of the shirt and shit. And um, I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to play that game too. And so, you know, but I mean, it started small. Like in 2000, my, my, my first business went under. I had a clothing business. Like when I met Tom Ford, I had a totally different business. That business went under in like 2017. So when I, um, like I lost everything, I was like dirt broke. But I had this idea to do luxury. Like it was sitting on me like, damn, bro, it's time for you to do this luxury shit. You, like, I was homeless. Like um, shit was so bad. Like I was, um, I was in a shelter and I was like, bro, you work so hard and you still ain't got shit. I was like, it's bullshit. Your customers, you got the wrong customers. Your customers allowed you to be, I mean, they didn't, but it's like your customer base is not strong enough to support you consistently because they're supporting you when they got the resources because you sell $1,000 suits. So the only person buying $1,000 suits is someone making less than 100000 a year, which means that they have to pick and choose when they can get this. They're not just going to give you a band because you say, what's up? They got to say, oh, I got a birthday coming up in a few months. I got a promotion coming up in a few months. Holler back at me, circle back with me when I got my bread stacked up. I was like, hmm. But Tom Ford's consumer does not consume that way. He does it because he woke up and he said, today, I'm going to go to Tom and I'm going to drop a bag. So I was like, I want to be in that space. I want people to shop with me because they have to have it. They ain't thinking about the money. They just have to have it. And so... 2018, when I when I came back, um, I doubled my suit prices. So 2018, my suits were 2,200 from 1,100. I, overnight, I just doubled them. And then um, I saw the response. I saw people were like, "Oh damn, you going up on this shit?" And then I went up from there to like three oh, 2,800, then 3,000, then 3,300, then 3,600. That big 3,600 Tom Ford price point that I wanted to get to. Then 3,900, then 4,200. Now my suit started at 4,900. But it was just like, I've been doing this long enough. You know, I've been a tailor for almost 20 years. Um, I got a very solid taste level. I'm very detailed and I'm very committed to my craft. I should be able to charge a luxury price point. And I know I'm able to give a luxury product in exchange for that. That was really what gave me the confidence. Now, the second piece of that is making the consumers respect it. You got to have the confidence first, because if I'm not confident in it, and you ask me how much suit is, and I'm looking all over the room, uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's, I usually charge like 4900 I mean, but, you know, I, I know it's kind of high for a lot of people. So, I mean, like, you know, I mean, what, you fuck, you're done. Yeah. So you got you to gotta be confident enough to say it and mean it. And then you got you to gotta say it in a way that the customer hears it and now they believe it. Because it, once they believe it, then the job is done. You know, it's all about exchange. I'm gonna give you something in exchange for something that's worth more. Like, I don't wanna give you $100 for something that's worth $100. Right. But I will give you $100 for something that's worth 150. Right, right. If in my mind, it's more valuable than this money is to me, I'll give it to you. So it's like, hmm, 
I got to show up looking like a million dollars, even if I ain't got no money in my pocket. Show up looking like a million. I didn't have a car then, so I would Uber, but I, I would pull up in a nice Uber. I look good. I smell good. I felt good. I'm chatting. I'm like, what's popping? I'm cool. Um, and I'm just talking shit about this. Like, yo, this is the best shit smoking. There's no one fooling. Like, I was confident like that when no one knew what Rich Fresh was. I was like, there's nothing fucking with Rich Fresh, man. This is the best. And people were like, I mean, I see it on you, man. Like, that shit, man, stand up real quick. Let me see that. Damn, that suit. So you can make your shit. My shit gonna fit like your shit. Yeah. All right, man, let's rock with it. And after that, I just kept um, showing the audience that I'm working with top-tier clients. So I'm working with all these big, famous people. Right. Look what I do with them. So right. I do with them. I can probably do with you, too. And um, that's all it was. I love it. I, I also like how transparent you, you are on your Instagram. You know, I told you, I live for your lives. They're so entertaining for me. A nice wake and bake. <laughs> um, I like on one of your posts, you said that you used to be so shy. And yeah. in fashion, in media, in anything where you interact with people, it can't exist in the same space. How did you get out of that? Like, did it just, did you just tell yourself like, we're not going to get what we need to be if we're reserved. Cause what you're talking about, you have to have a certain, you have to have a little bit of an ego for people to believe in you. So how did you break out of being shy to get to this? Um, well, I mean, I've always been shy, but I've always been confident. Okay. But I was real quiet and reserved. Like, you know, I'm an introvert. So I don't really, I, I don't express myself a lot around people. Um, but I read a lot. And one of the books I read was from this uh, guy, Grant Cardone. Um, and he was just talking about the importance of attention. If you can't gain attention, you can't make money. The kid that can't get attention doesn't get the food. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have to get attention. The beautiful girl that doesn't get attention doesn't get the, the guy she wants. So it's like, hmm, you got to be able to get attention. Like court, And he would be like, court attention at every opportunity you can get. And... Um, I was like, shit, I've never been good with the attention. I never liked the attention. But this guy's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And he's telling me that he was once just like me, and he had to turn it up and come out of his shell. So what can I do to come out of my shell? And I started looking around, and I noticed that the other tailors did not communicate like me, like me now. You know, they were all very, hi, my name is Edward. Um, I have a beautiful Super, super 150 in uh, Skabal. Uh, it's, in, it's incredible. I think it'll wear well. It's very breathable. And I was like, well, if all you guys sound like that, and I also sound like that, well, that's not attention. That's like monotony. It's very redundant. Right. Like, okay, cool. Everyone's doing like that. I'm going to do something totally different. So I just looked at what the market was doing, did the exact opposite. Everyone's talking proper. I'm going to be back on my Memphis shit. I'm going to talk like I'm in Memphis. How would I talk if I was with a rapper? Hell yeah. Just lean back in. Like, lean into yourself more. People respond to that transparency so much. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, I was just like, commit to this thing. Like, don't switch it up. If, if, if I have a 60-year-old white client, he getting what's popping. It's the boy. What's good with you? How you doing, baby? Look at yeah. you. you I don't know if you good. encountered this. It, it's wild, too. Like, when you go to certain, I don't know, fashion or media events, do you get where people do black speak to you? Like they'll start talking to you how they assume you talk. And you be like, man, I ain't told you nothing about that. Now, what do you think you get? 
check this shit out. So I was in Cabo with my brother. And, you know, I got my rags on and shit. So we walking through this restaurant. We about to get something to eat. And I'm walking. This motherfucker walks up to me, a server. And he's like, yo, 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 what up, homie? Yo, yo, G, what up, gangster? Yo, yo. He's a white dude, right? I, I think he thought this shit was going to be cute. I look him right in his face and said, man, who the fuck are you talking to? His whole demeanor changed. He shut that shit the fuck up real quick. And then uh, he said, uh, he said, oh, man, my bad. Um, he said, uh, I just want to know if there's anything thing that I can get you. I was like, nah, dog, you can't get me shit. And I walked outside. And, you know, I walked back in. I ain't seen him later. But, like, um, I don't play with people. <laughs> you try this shit if you want to. It's, it's so wild. It's so wild. There's a, a stylist who's kind of a big deal, like featured stylist. I met her at an event and I was so excited to meet her because I genuinely enjoy her work. And for me, I'm from Atlanta, Atlanta. I'm from Southwest Atlanta. I'm from East Point. So Ooh. for me, I think for me to talk to you, how I talk to my friends and my family, that's a privilege. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like I have to have a certain amount of comfort or, you know, like to your point, there's an exchange happening here. To, you know what I mean? So I'm not finna just talk to you off rip how I talk to my family and my friends because I don't know you like that and that's not a privilege yeah. I'm bestowing upon you. Absolutely. You do not need to walk up to me talking about no girl. and this Girl, if you don't, I was, I was so taken aback because I'm like, you work with some like a-list black women and I know you're not talking to them like that. Like right. I was, I was low key disappointed, but I think it was that she was drunk and I was like the only black girl there. So she, ah. really, I don't think she really knew, you know, how to move. Cause she pulled some token shit with you. Yeah. Unfortunately in, in a lot of these spaces, it's not a whole lot of us still. So I, you know, I didn't hold it against her, but I was looking at her like now at what point did you feel like that's how you should have been talking to me? <laughs> Straight up. Well, I'm a much bigger asshole than you are, so I'll say it. At what point did you feel like <laughs> that's how you could talk to me? No, moving <laughs> forward, that's, that's what I like so much about your, I don't know if it was your demeanor or your presence, that you you are a very, you seem to be, obviously, I don't know, but you seem to be a very grounded person. And I think that that's a huge part of where that confidence comes from is in being grounded. And I know you have mentioned being a very spiritual person, for me coming from the South, I'm still learning more about the spiritual aspects outside of what we're taught in Christianity. Right. So have you had, had a journey with that as well? Like I'm just oh, yeah. you know, getting into yeah. journaling, meditating, <laughs> crystals, all that stuff. Like I'm still like really new to it. So where are you in, in, in that? How did you get there? Is there Rose Quartz? Yeah, Rose Quartz, yeah. Oh, wait, look at mine. Oh, look at you. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, um, but um, yeah, you know, I separated from the church back in uh, 2000. When I moved back from New York, that's the last time I went to church. Like, I just had this, I realized that the church is, it's a good thing. I understand it's a bad thing. For some people, it's not a good thing. I had been to some churches and I was very disappointed in the leadership. I was very disappointed in like, this is the standard? Oh, I'm better off in the world. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I was like, no, hell no. You're just following a man. Like, this church is just a man. It's a man who's reading some words, and he's going to interpret these words based on his life experience and his perspective. He might be sexist. He's going to use that scripture to communicate his point. He might be 
racist, homophobic. He might be all kind of shit. He gonna use God's word to communicate his point to his audience. And it's like, damn, it's just like politics. It's just humans taking power and pushing that on the other people saying, I need you to believe this the same way I do or you're damned. And I was like, oh, that don't work for me. Man, like, when I tell you I had a really similar experience because I, I know this makes it sound super basic, but it's my truth. I did not realize that I was a feminist until Beyonce told me that feminism was for black girls too. Cause I was just like, in my mind, a feminist was just like a white woman with curly hair and who wore like slouchy clothes. Like I just didn't really- and didn't, didn't shave her armpits. You know, exactly. I didn't know that that was a thing. I didn't know it in its true definition, right? So I started reading more about it. I started, watching TED Talks, listening to podcasts, learning about like how patriarchy has shaped so much of everybody's lives, not just women, but men who don't get to be who they are because of what patriarchy tells them. And I, it having that awareness and then how patriarchy feeds into racism and I'm in church and I'm like, so first of all, my life doesn't count until or unless I marry a man and then when or if I marry this man, I got to right. submit to him. But like, what if he don't know what he's talking about? And I started to feel like <laughs> feminism or just me as a woman, I don't feel like I have a place here. Like, what are you telling me? You tell me that I'm not worth anything until unless I like it. it woman submits to the man. Yeah. I, you know, shut up, nag. You know? <laughs> yeah, I. I I struggled with that so much because I was just like, I don't feel like, and I have way, way too many friends and family who are a part of the gay community that I don't want to sit here and have you tell me that these people going to hell. Like, for what? My dog? Right. Like, and that was but just- It's straight, so it's, it's, it's straight niggas here that's like fucking kids. They good. But- They okay? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, they cheat like a motherfucker, but they good. Oh, okay. So that's, that's how the God thing works. Right. Okay. I got it. So God is a respecter of person. I thought God wasn't a respecter of person. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 thought, I thought he looked at the heart of man. So that was my big, big, big disconnect with the church. I just, I didn't rock with it anymore. So, you know, um, I didn't really get spiritual until a couple of years ago. Like, I mean, I've always had, obviously God's always been with me. I've always had that, but, you know, I got distant and then, um, at my low point, at my at my rock bottom, that's when God showed up. He just came right out the sky and just sat with me and had a word with me and showed me that my life would be different. You know, I just had to be more of a spiritual being than a flesh being and just like, just, you know, be obedient. And, you know, like you get convicted to do what's right. Not necessarily what's in the Bible, but you know when you're doing something wrong because God will tell you that ain't right. He'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> you know and it's just a matter of like you honoring that and god's like okay if you if god if, if god convicts you to move in a certain direction and you honor it then you're embracing your spirituality if you run from it then you're denying it so and running towards it and honoring it you just get more access to god you get more access to the blessing so my story doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people because there's so many blessings that's woven in there. It's like, it's non-human elements mm. that are responsible for me being where I'm at. Got it. Got it. And and I think, I, yeah, I'm still, 
it's like I wish that I could go to a church that fit what I knew God to be the way that I was taught who God was. And it was just like, y'all are kind of contradicting what you're telling me that, that, you know, and it's to the point I had to unfollow so many people because I'm, you know, in therapy, my therapist is like, I really want you to try meditation. And you, you know, people out there who think meditation is like devil worship. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> they was like yoga and meditation is like how the devil gets in you i was like girl if you don't get the hell out of here like it's some it's nuts but yeah, i think good. you have to combine some of that with a with a groundedness you know in order in order to progress so one of the things too i try to explain to people when they ask like well you know why the push for um you know shopping black designers and i'm like look just like you have independent musicians, you have mm -hmm. independent designers. It's mm -hmm. pros and cons to both. Would you want to be under an LVMH or a caring if you have a choice, or would you want to stay an independent designer? Timing plays a big role in all those types of decisions. Um, right now, I want to stay independent so I can maintain my concept. Because the second that, like, I don't have any investors, you know, I don't have anyone that's making any decisions for me but me. I mean, all my decisions, and if it's a bad decision, it's on me. If it's a good decision, it's on me. Um, but, you know, the second that you take an investor, you got to take their thought process into account. Like, uh, I think your stuff is a little expensive. I think if we drop the price by 30%, we'd move more units. They're looking at bottom line. They don't give a fuck about the long-term value of your brand. They're looking at right now it just don't seem like we're getting enough market share. Whereas me, I understand the way luxury consumers work because I'm a luxury consumer. Um, it just takes time. But once I do what I need to do and like my brand is synonymous with something and it's inter I got international presence, you know, shit, if, if, if the goal is, I mean, it's business. The goal is for like, you know, uh, 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 shit, for someone to come and buy it. Or to come and say, we're going to give you a humongous capital infusion because we love the direction you've gone in. And you've been able to make tens of millions on your own. So now we want to come in. Let's give you $100 million so we can turn this into a billion-dollar brand. I'm going to say, yeah. Okay. I like Get it. Get out of my way. <laughs> Get the fuck out of like my it. way. Yeah, I think um, Carol's daughter, Lisa Price, the woman who created Carol's daughter, she got so much like kickback from people when she sold to did she sell to l'oreal or one of the like major you know whatever and i'm like y'all she was making this shit in her kitchen <laughs> the goal of a business under under capitalism the goal is for your business to be bought like what did y'all want her to do black people don't they used to say that shit all the time i can never sell my business man i don't know man i can never sell that's like telling your kid you're gonna sell your kid no, nigga, it's not like your kid. It's a fucking business. It's not a kid. It's not a living, breathing thing. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a business. You know, like, it evolves. You change the name of your business. You're not going to change your kid's name. You know, you're not going to close your, your kid and then do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, and especially black people in the South, like, just the concept of, uh, it's so many things I heard wrong. Don't get debt. You don't need credit. Pay cash for everything. Don't owe nobody shit. Don't take out no loans. Don't sell your company. Don't. I heard all these stupid ass things and I operated yep. in a stupid way. I fucked my credit up when I was a kid and I was like, well, who cares? I'll just cash everything. 
imagine having to be cash everything and you ain't got no damn cash. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, but uh, just, you know, that idea of people want to hold on to shit for longer than they should. And I see all these white entrepreneurs or start a business or Indian or Asian, they'll start a business. They'll take a capital infusion. They'll turn around and sell for 400 million, a billion dollars. And they'll start something else later. And it's like, damn, why don't we do that shit? We're just taught, we're taught it backwards. So um, I appreciate being independent. I'm glad I'm independent because I get to show something to other independent artists that, yo, you can get major money as an independent. You know, like I, um, I studied Nipsey Hustle. you know, like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a disciple of hustle. So I saw how he moved. He was selling $100 mixtapes when he yep. was selling $10 mixtapes. And he was booming way more of the $100 mixtapes than niggas was booming $10 mixtapes. How is that, Sway? You selling up to $10, 10 times as much and you selling 10 times as many of them? I was like, damn, it's because he's giving value. He's not just giving you something. Exactly. He's giving you value. Yeah. And like, and he's a boss. And then you just, you have to respect, even a major would have to respect him as a boss because you're independent, but you're moving like a major. You're funding your own music videos. Like, whoa, what is this? And so I'm kind of in that same space where people know I'm indie. I fund my own shit. I make my own movies. This whole operation, like, you know, it, it's, it's me. So it garners more respect in the industry, you know? So, I mean... They look at me and it's some major players like Jim Moore, GQ. It's some major players that fuck with me because I did it independent and I still did it successfully. Like anyone can take money. You know what I'm saying? But like if you take $100, like I turned $100 into a million dollars in a year. Just like a constant flip. Like take this 100 turn this, flip it, flip it, flip it, flip it. And I looked up and that shit turned to a million. How can you not respect that? Yeah. So you know what I'm saying? If you Indian, you can do some shit like that. Motherfuckers gonna come and they gonna check on you and say, "Yo, you're doing something different." I I I I gotta tap in, man. See what you got going. Yeah, yeah. Um. To to that point, I know we talk about money, we talk about wealth, etc. How else do do you define success? For me, I define success by like I can take a nap whenever I want to take a nap. I, like, I, I love sleeping so much. Like, one thing about me, I'm going to eat and I'm asleep. So, success for me means when I say I'm, I'm, I'm clocked out, don't nobody, I can put my phone on do not disturb whenever I want to. That's success for me. What does success look and feel like for you? The definition of success, uh, I found it's the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. I like that. Yeah. So, tomorrow, moving forward on the thing that you thought of today is success. Um, You know, financial success is different, but like having a thing that you're passionate about and you're moving towards it and you're bringing it to fruition, you're becoming a success. Once you become a success, like I'm in the same spot with you. I've never been able to take a vacation. I'm taking a three month vacation in like two weeks. That to me is success. Yeah. You can leave for, for, three months and your businesses still flourish. Yeah, you know. Also, if your success, like there's a lot of people that know how to get money, but if you don't have a team that's also getting money with you, you're not really successful. Oh, hundred percent. And I don't, I don't know if you encountered this. Uh, when I moved up here, 
to New York, I was like, these people really kind of like selfish. And I say that in a way, like, obviously I'm a girl. I'm from Atlanta. All of my brothers are promoters. I'm used to, if you are a pretty girl who you walk through the club, dudes want you to be in their section. They, hey, come have a drink with us. Da, da, da. It's just, just a way of, of being, right? And so when I got up here, it was really, really different. It's like they didn't have like the sense of community that I feel like we have in the South to where what you're saying, when one person is on, we put everybody on. And I even see that in our rappers. When young rappers come out, Gucci is like, let me hop on your shit. You know what I mean? I'm a, I'm, I'm a you see? Absolutely. I don't see that. I feel like, is that just unique to the South? Uh, I mean, you know, it is, but it's not. Like, there's a lot of hate in the South. Like, Atlanta's different than Memphis. Like, you see a lot of Atlanta rappers fucking with each other. Memphis rappers hate each other. They will kill each other. If I'm on in Memphis and you're on, I'm going to try and kill you. Because it yeah. can't be two of us. Like, that's the type of slave mentality that we have. Like, only one of us is going to get in the house. So, I'll kill you if I think you're going to get in there first. Yeah. Um, but in Atlanta, I definitely see a great deal of camaraderie. On the West Coast, you know, you got a lot more camaraderie. I did see on the East Coast, no, it was very clickish. If you're not already part of our group, you can't fucking come in it. I was like, what kind of shit is that? This is so weird. I see it in media where even when I go to, to events where it's black media girls, I'm like, oh, I've seen her. And you expect for there to be this certain kind of camaraderie. And they like, girl, we don't know you. And I'm like, well, shit, I don't know you either. You know what I mean? Like, right. and I'm just like, I'm not used to this. I'm used to, you know, bad bitches link up. Like, what y'all doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I, I really, I like what, what you said there. I think that if, if one of us, I think Jay-Z had a line like that. You're not rich unless everybody around you is doing well. You can't be the only one. Um, and I think Beyonce kind of communi- communicated that in Black is King, where it was like, we have to change our perception of what royalty is. It's not a single person at the top. It's a community of all of us working together for all of our good. That's how you thrive. Absolutely. Everybody's working together. So I, I really, um, and I like how many black people I see you work with. Like yeah. most of your customers, it's us. They like black. straight up. Straight I up. love it. <laughs> people say all this shit, oh, black folk ain't gonna, and guess what? They don't get nothing for free and they don't ask for it for free. I show up and they say, how much? 4,900. Bet, here's a card. They pay. They appreciate and respect it because they know how hard it is to progress and make it if you're black. Yeah. So why would you hold down? This nigga done made it in a mo- such a difficult market for black, straight black men. Yeah. Straight black broke men. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Why am I going to hold this? No, nah, man, let me let me support you. So yeah, they, they definitely, um they fuck with me on the West Coast. But surprisingly, like, I don't have a lot of New York business at all. I, you know what? That doesn't surprise me, though. Like, you give me West Coast. You know what I mean? Like, you give West Coast vibes. Like, that That doesn't even surprise me, honestly. And I think, too, with New York being, like, the fashion capital, I still, I'm not surprised. I think that just means it's going to be a smaller table for a black person to try to pull up to. <laughs> and look, I got wood in the back. I'm building my own table. I don't need exactly. To I like it. So I want to do just some rapid fire questions. These will be fun. <laughs> okay. So again, I'm from Atlanta, so I need to know when it comes to wings, drums or flats. Flats. <sighs> you know what? Yeah, that's cool. That means we could share. You would take the flats. I take the drums. 
actually, I don't take shit now because I'm vegan now. But when I used to eat them, I would order flats only, baby. Ugh, fine. I guess would you have like some buffalo cauliflower? You're one of those yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, I don't really like cauliflower that much because it's a uh, GMO. Yeah. Um, Which I was but, fascinated when I learned that. I said, is anything real? <laughs> Not much. Corn, broccoli, fucking cauliflower, a lot of this shit is not real. Um, but yeah, I won't be doing no wings. But when I did, flats. Like, I literally, I wouldn't even touch the drum. I'm like, I ain't eating that shit. They are so much easier to eat. The meat's tougher. Y'all tripping. Okay. And you know what's so funny? <coughs> I actually met Rick Ross at a Wingstop event, and I asked him... <laughs> Like, this is one of the funniest things that ever happened to me. I was like, are you drums or flats? And he was like, flats. And I was like, you are lame. He was like, listen, baby, that's because you ain't never had nobody put you in a Maybach and had it, you know, teach you how to eat them with the, with the ranch or the blue. I was like, sir, how do we arrive here? It was one of the funniest conversations. I, so uh, I got to get you your Maybach to learn how to eat a, wing, a flat. <laughs> Rose is so funny. And He's like, a character, and it's just like I can fully see how people are so charmed by him. He's a very charming person. Yeah. He is a fucking okay. delight. Like, I just want to go to brunch with you. Um, <laughs> so, on the note of food. Shout out, Rose. Right, all day. Um, sweet or savory? Savory. Same, Z's. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Late night or early morning? Both. Late night. Thank you. <laughs> if you had a theme song that played every time you walked in a room, what would it be? It'd be that new Lemonade by uh, Jazzy. Um, Eyes on Ritz. You came in, but you never had. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I like yeah. that. Mine would be Spodiotti Dope Delicious. Okay. Um, do you have a word that makes you cringe? Like some people can't stand to hear the yes. word. Love. You don't like to hear the word love? Pisses me the fuck off. Okay, we gonna have to talk about that another time. We, we need to <laughs> journal and therapy through that. Um, yeah, do you have right. a favorite curse word? <sighs> fuck. Okay, fair. Um, you have a dream client. Barack Obama. I knew it! I don't know how I knew, but I knew that was gonna be your answer. In my spirit, I felt it. <laughs> oh, your spirit was right, baby. <laughs> okay, so tell everybody in my audience where they can find you, how they can shop with you. Um, yeah, how to reach out. So uh, you find a boy on Rich. You can find me on Instagram at Rich Fresh. It sounds the same way, or spelled the way it sounds. Very phonetic. Um, so yeah, I'm on Rich. I'm on, I'm on Instagram is Rich Fresh. You can also find my mask company. It's at Henry Masks, plural. Um, the website for Rich Fresh is richfresh.com. The website for the mask company is henrymasksingular.com. Um, you can check me there, and that's where I'm most present. Pull up, check out my uh, my Instagram stories. I go live multiple times a day. And it is a delight. It is one of my quarantine favorite things. I don't know what you talking about today. <laughs> no telling. Right. I love it. So thank you so much for taking time. I know we had such a struggle connecting, but we made it happen. So thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Next time we'll do this one in person. Of course. Of course. And I will be in touch with your assistant because I would love to do something in person. Spectacular. All righty. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.